Hello stackers, this is Rhett, the Dungeon Master for Stack of Dice, and I am happy to be continuing our ongoing series in the Creation Corner series on World Builders. Today's guest, I'm excited to say, is another podcaster from Canada, and so I'm very happy to introduce Matt. Matt, you want to say hello? Hello everybody, I'm Matt. I'm a Dungeon Master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that because we're going to be talking about some interesting aspects of role-playing today. And uh, in particular, one major facet of your campaign. Uh, but before we get into that, why don't you tell us a bit about your background with games and a little bit about yourself and what brought you to games and then specifically what kind of game you're running right now that we're going to focus on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've been a Game Master for about 10 years now. Uh, I was introduced to the hobby in 3.5, where I was a player, mm -hmm. D&D 3.5, where I was a player for about a year and a bit. And then that bled into fourth edition. And that's kind of where I decided to cut my teeth and be a game master. This this idea of letting my, my imagination bleed into the real world and have my friends interact with it was just, you know, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Right. Uh, and yeah, and then, and then the rest kind of has been history. I've been playing in games, running games virtually and in person since then. I've dabbled in a lot of different systems as well. Uh, my current favorite is the Fate Core system, which mm. I feel like resonates with me as a game master because I, I really like to focus on the collaborative storytelling elements of the hobby. I really like role play. I really like fun scenes for my players to kind of engage in. And I find that the structure of that system enables that very well. And yeah, and I've just, like I said, I've been playing for, for a long time. The past few years now, all that passion kind of bled into my, my passion project, which is Roleplay Chat, another podcast. So if folks here like these kinds of deep dive discussions, uh, Roleplay Chat is a great place to, to listen into something similar. And yeah, like, like you said, it's a great hobby. I love it. I don't know if that covers your question, Red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> it certainly does, and I appreciate that. Uh, and we'll we'll get into how to find role play chat after our discussion. Yeah, definitely uh, something as we were talking about ideas for what to talk about because that's always the first point, right? You have to figure mm -hmm. out what are we going to say. We were batting ideas around, and uh, you mentioned the kind of campaign that you were running, and that got me immediately thinking. So why don't you tell us a bit about your current campaign and what makes it special? Yeah, absolutely. So. My current campaign is a pirate campaign, and it, it kind of was inspired by a number of different things. But there's a specific moment in my life that happened where me and my buddies were sitting around a fire at a cottage, chatting the talk, and oftentimes the talk always goes to role play mm -hmm. <laughs> in my circle of friends. And uh, we were talking about how the sci-fi settings, in most sci-fi settings, there is the perfect way to make a, a party of players. And that's to put them on a ship and say, you are now on the ship together. Mm -hmm. So you have to work together. You're co-workers. You can't go backstabbing each other because at the end of the day, you got to work together. That's right. And I've never been fond of the sci-fi setting. So I immediately tried to think of an analog in a more fantastic setting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ship to ship brought me straight to boats. And it kind of, the rest is history, you know, it, <laughs> as they say. But uh, the more I thought of it, the more fascinated I was by this concept of having an open sea, having all these islands and the, the diversity of environments that having these islands would offer me creatively and narratively. Uh, the flexibility it gives me to adapt to my players. If they say they want to go somewhere, all I have to do is throw an island that 
just appears or right. maybe it's already there and I didn't fill it in yet or, you know, what have you. And it, it really gives me this flexibility to move with the decisions of my players in a very fluid way. I also, what I really liked about this, this option was I love to craft things. Hmm. So I immediately built myself a, a pirate boat. I have one. Obviously, this is not good audio content, but I, I would pull it out and show it to you. Uh, well, maybe if, maybe we can share some pictures of it. Absolutely, to accompany sure. Let's, the, yeah, let's do the that. So it's this XPS foam boat that I built. Got three layers. It opens up. I love it to death. My players have a blast using it. And anyway, yeah. So it, I built the boat, and I'm like, what else can I build? So I built little islands, and I actually ended up building myself a complete map. It's probably like. Six feet by four feet oh, wow. of all these little islands and, and they, they lie down like so they're in a big Ziploc bag in my basement. <laughs> and whenever we play, I take them out and put them on the table and, and that's the map. And it really, I don't know, I just, I just, I just enjoy having that visual representation right. of the world yeah. for my players to, to see. And one of the main themes of the game is the rising ocean tide. That, mm. That's kind of the, the big bad is summoning a demon. It's like this giant kraken thing. And as he succeeds at this, the water level rises. And as the players succeed to foil his plot, the water levels kind of normalize. Okay. So the map itself is kind of interactive in that sense. So mm -hmm. certain islands disappear when the water levels are too high. So the, the players kind of got to piece this together as, as we played. But I'm, yeah, that's, that's my world. Pirate Campaign. The name of my setting is the Makoan Gulf or the Makoan Coast, I guess you okay. could call it that. And it, you know, not to not to bore folks with too much of the the history and exposition, but uh, I really like the whole settler culture and how that creates this interesting dichotomy with the native natives of a, of a specific space mm -hmm. and the people coming there. So there's the Makoan coast. The Makoans are the na the main inhabitants of this land. They are uh, a dragonborn folk type person, and I kind of took that race out of D and D and reskinned it to fit into my universe. And they're very uh, Polynesian in the okay. way that they that they travel, the way that they make their settlements and their culture. So I did a, a lot of research, and I, I have no Polynesian background, so I wanted to do the best I could to be as representative of the Polynesian people as I could. So I, I went and found all these really fascinating articles about the Polynesian people from like the University of, of Auckland in New Zealand and, and things like this. And in reading all of this to inspire my world building for the little huts that I would then later craft, right. uh, I learned a lot about the mana kind of part of the religion mm. in Polynesia. So mm -hmm. mana, and whew, it's been a long time since I've had to describe it, but effectively everything has this mana. It's this, this essence. And the more important you are, the more culturally important or significant a site is, the more mana it has. And there's kind of like these castes that exist. Mm -hmm. And then I thought to myself, wow, what a great way for me to reskin magic. Right. So I, I worked with some friends and we created our own little magic system. We, we created special feats for all of the players based on mana. It was, it was a lot of fun and it was very collaborative in that because of the way the fate system works, there's no like spell book, but you can give players these feats, these, these skills that they can kind of implement in battle or outside of battle, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really neat. A lot of, a lot yeah. of great concepts going on here. Uh, why don't we start by focusing on the fact that this is primarily a water campaign? That's really what grabbed my attention first. But now, as you've been talking, so many other things are, are <laughs> <laughs> leaping to the forefront here. First of all, I wanted to talk about the fact that you're running a maritime primarily mm -hmm. campaign. 
uh, to me, that was an immediate grabber because every game I've ever played where boats are involved, it's just a, a device to get you from one place to another. It sounds like you have quite the opportunity to make it so much more. It becomes a living space. It becomes mm-hmm. a place for adventure in itself on board the ship. Maybe maybe worms have been boring into the hull or something, and now you have to salvage or, or whatever. You know, There are lots of things you can do to turn the ship into an adventure itself. And so I wanted to see, uh, first of all, I think we've talked about this briefly through uh, messaging back and forth. You don't personally, or coming into the game, you didn't personally have much in the way of experience with maritime life. So I assume a lot of research went into getting the details of ship life right, getting the details of ships themselves right. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the, the maritime aspect of the game is a lot of fun. And it created this really unique place I, to back it up a little bit, one, one of the things that I wanted to challenge myself with when I initially started this campaign some three years ago now, it was to have a campaign where travel was important. Mm-hmm. Travel felt like a part of the game. Great. So having this pirate ship, making it this place where the players go to rest, refuel, kind of do their downtime activities while they were traveling was really important to me. Mm-hmm. So I immediately gave them a ship. Game one started with them on a ship. You know, here's your home base. Here's your pirate ship. It's broken and busted and needs fixing, but you have a pirate ship. Go have fun with it. And what a great way to start because you've already built in the first quest. Fix your ship. Get it get it working. Get it functional. And then from there, then you go on to bigger and better things. But that that's such a neat way to start because you talk about immediate investment in the story. If we're going to do anything beyond this point, We've got to work together to get this thing going. I think that's a great way to start off a game. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So yeah, th- that was one of the first things that I wanted to tackle. As far as my background in, in the maritime things, like you said, I had none. But I didn't let that stop me. Uh, <laughs> Nor uh, should you. There's <laughs> all kinds of great resources out there. Yeah. Uh, some that I'd like to point people to if, if Absolutely. maybe I can send you the links later. Yeah. But there's actually a pirate history podcast that exists. It's amazing. It's really, really good. It's not too, you know, entertainment value. It's more historic. Sure. But, the, you know, the stories of, of real pirates and real people in our world is super inspiring to me. So a lot of my villains and a lot of my NPCs were kind of taken from, from real pirates in, in the real world. How could you not? I mean, you, you, look, yeah. at, <laughs> you look at these guys and the, the outlandish things they did and the way they acted. I mean, they're real-life villains pulled right out of campaigns. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, other resources that can be really valuable is if you just, you know, if you go and find different ships from the, like, 1800s, late 1700s, 1850s, that kind of thing, you can find some beautiful pictures of boats, their, you know, their travel speeds, they all kinds of different um, sizes and, and capacities and the types of weapons that might be found on board. So, mm-hmm. so things like this really to help establish consistency about how big a pirate crew ought to be, how big a patrol ship would be, how fast those things would move, things like that. Right. And then, of course, uh, don't rule out uh, the living museums where you have, like in, in Boston, you have the, the Constitution where you can actually walk on board and get some in-person experience <laughs> with, with what it would have been like. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this, there's so much. As soon as you talked about pirates, I thought, man, this is a rich one. <laughs> this is a great yeah. one for talking about. Um, and, and one thing, like you said, having players 
be invested in their home base, mm-hmm. in their ship, giving them this opportunity to interact with each other too, right? It, it kind of bakes in this downtime that I really, really like because there's only so much room on each of these little Caribbean style islands. Most of the time, maybe one faction, maybe two at most. So if the players want to progress the story, they need to travel. They need to go from point A to point B. And in doing so, they find themselves with sometimes days on the boat. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them to role play. I encourage them to do their downtime activities in an exciting way. And this is kind of where the fate system also enables me quite a bit. Uh, there's a way to build vessels in the fate core system where you give it aspects. So kind of sort of like in the D&D system where you have like your background and your uh, your motive, not, not motivations, what are they called? Your bonds and ideals and flaws. Right. It, it, it's similar to that, but these aspects are more, you know, they're very core to the to the players and to their abilities in the game. So we can, as the players level up their ship or, or progress in the game, they're changing the aspects of their boat. What was once a broken ship now is, you know, maybe the fastest ship in the coast or perhaps now it has a laboratory on board where the the kind of alchemy style wizard is able to craft potions and yeah. healing items and things like this. Oh that's so neat. So it's uh it, it really got them invested in the space and it's now it's theirs. They've modified it to their liking and are scared if it gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if it gets put in risk. Well sure. I mean you you've invested in it, you've basically sweated and, and labored for it. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Why not feel some loss when something happens to it? Yeah, I I, I think that covers most of it. I'm trying to think of some of the inspiration. It was a long time ago. Um, there's a show that's not, I mean, by, by no means is it small, but Black Flag was a show that I watched. It's a star, I think it's a star special. Hmm. And it's kind of a retelling of the old Treasure Island story in with a lot of different dramatic moments and different factions and things like this. And that also provided me with a lot of inspiration for for interesting interesting language that the sailors might be using right. uh, to kind of add flavor to my NPCs, to to say things a certain way. And I, I, by no means was I trying to stereotype pirates with the whole arrr and shiver me timbers. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you tell your players you're having a pirate campaign, it comes with a certain level of expectation. Of course. <laughs> that you you kind of have to be at least somewhere in the middle. So shows like this, just learn the language a little bit, the, the nautical themes, the nautical lingo to kind of give a little bit more credibility to the people that they're encountering. Right. And then, play. I mean, so you're, you're dealing with things that you would never even dream of on land. Uh, seasickness uh you've got uh, the potential for scurvy as supplies begin to dwindle uh even even being becalmed has a certain terror in itself to a crew that is trying to get somewhere and they're running low on supplies and fresh water and now you're not moving mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. these are things that are not good so i mean already you're adding elements that maybe players don't who who have been playing for years have never encountered before and so you've opened up a whole new world for them to experience. I like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's very easy to prepare what I like to call interrupts in this kind of setting. So interrupts, very briefly, they're, they're something that, well, they interrupt the flow of the game for you to help rejig the pacing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Something that might be considered like a, a random encounter on a random table, things like this, but with a little bit more purpose. So if, if I find myself having to run a game and I know my players are going to be traveling and I don't have time to prepare the next island or don't have time to prepare the next main NPC and, you know, quest hook or what have you. It's easy. 
I just come up with something that would happen on at sea, like they find a a ghost ship or they find a broken down wreck or there's you know floating wreckage with a with somebody on it and now they have to interact with this person and that kind of eats up two hours of the game just enough time for me to wait for the next game <laughs> that's right and, and prepare the rest <laughs> yeah and it, but it becomes part of the ongoing story and that's it becomes a memorable element yeah mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a great way to look at it other things that i thought of as we were initially knocking around the idea was um when you're on land you have certain expectations about the things you can do. You put yourself on a ship that's maybe 20 feet wide in the beam, and suddenly your world dwindles to a very small point. Mm-hmm. You can't jump in the water because the thing thrashing around down there has a lot more mobility than you. Or, or if, you, if you do, you better be prepared for uh, moving around in that sort of environment. Visibility is low. Um, so you're, you're imposing some interesting restrictions on players just by having them out on the surface. Absolutely. I, and it's something that I also, you know, as beautiful and fantastic as these things are, I want to caution people not to do too many of them at once. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like you're saying, Rhett, it's these interesting logistical problems almost. You know, you know in the, on the game world, when you're out on the overland, overworld, you're not too worried about if it's a foggy day, who cares? Right. You're just going to maybe not see the bandits sneak up on you. But here, your ship might encounter, you know, you might hit something. Right. You might completely go off course and now find yourself three days travel more than you expected and you didn't have enough food. So it, it's kind of, I, I, the way I introduced it to my players is I started very simply. I introduced travel in that they didn't even have to think about their logistics, but their ship could only carry X amount of days worth of food. Mm-hmm. So if they planned a trip, every time they wanted to travel, we had all the islands out, we had a, a piece of string, and that was how long they could go on one, one boat's worth of food, if you will. Gotcha. We'd roll at the beginning of travel where the wind was blowing, and depending on that, they'd get a bonus, you know, plus X amount of inches or minus X amount of inches, depending on if it was against the wind or, or things like this. And then they'd kind of decide. But then as the game went on, we added complexity to this so we added i added in um other ships so you know we threw in enemy ships and you could kind of based on intelligence that the players would gather you kind of knew the potential route of an enemy ship and you did kind of wanted to avoid it or or come face to face if that was if that was the the objective uh we talked about a little bit about magic and and things like this so one of the players on the in the party was a magic user who really liked potions and alchemy and things like this so we outfitted the one of the basements into this this kind of potion zone, which was really fun because they could create interesting things, but then they became incredibly paranoid about everything breaking. Right. Never wanting to get like a cannon on that side of the ship. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. So that was kind of fun. And and then, you know, there was kind of like these generic not generic, but there were these uh, negative impacts that would happen if they did travel for too long. So often the, you know, the wind would change course midway through travel, and, and now mm, you're stuck at sea. We're going to start taking penalties. You're going to start losing losing some sanity points, things like that. Picking some damage if you if you roll poorly mm-hmm. and, and kind of move on that way. As you're talking, yeah. I'm wondering, have you noticed that your players have gotten into maritime thinking as well? Uh, you know, have you noticed that maybe in ship-to-ship battles that they're trying to actually use maneuvers that are historically accurate or, you know, coming alongside, uh, that sort of thing? Um, not not particularly. And maybe that's my my doing. We haven't had all that many, like, ship fights. Gotcha. 
um, in part because it was a little bit intimidating for me the first little bit. Of, sure. This oh, is I be bet. Intense. I don't know yeah. if I want to do that. But then I, I did introduce a few. At first, it was never against another ship. It was always against like a big baddie, a big mm-hmm. monster in the water, something that would like maybe jump across deck and they, they could fight it when it was out of the water, but when it was in the water. They had to guess what side it was going to come from, what area it was, you know, maybe it was starting to damage part of the boat, things like this. But uh, it, as far as nautical thinking goes, I think my players definitely kind of adapted a more, how do I say, this mindset of, of tracking their inventory a lot more. Okay. Some, something that they originally didn't really want to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I never forced it upon them. But, but as we played, you know, it kind of became natural to start thinking about these things. And they started actually being really invested in, oh, you know what, what if we upgrade part of the boat to have more food and, and then we can travel for longer distances? Oh, but what if we just make it faster instead? And there was kind of these, these interesting discussions, you know, people sitting at the table discussing how they could make their boat faster and kind of coming up with ways that they could do so by, by lightening the load or maybe having bigger sails or whatever. So yeah. things like this. Oh, so, was, uh, so many really neat, neat possibilities. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My mind is off. It's, <laughs> it's just racing here. Have you, have you done something like that in any kind of boat travel or, or, or things like this in, in your actual play? Uh, not really. Like I said, we've, we've used them primarily. We, we did have some uh, ship travel at one point in our ongoing story and there were some fun things that happened. There was a a boarding attempt, uh, but for the most part, it was combat with flavor is basically what it came mm-hmm. down to. Uh, there weren't the elements that you're talking about of of making it as meaningful. There, there were some meaningful things that happened, but the real thrust of it was you're going from one city to another and you just happen to be on a ship. So I, I'm really enjoying uh, your line of thinking here. Cool, 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 cool. Well, I hope I hope it inspires you to do something. Yeah, and I hope it inspires listeners too. I, I think yeah, there's a lot of untapped potential in that in that world. Such simple things, like you said, like visibility, food, ammunition. If you lose a fight and you lose a cannon because it got pushed overboard, now what do you do? Exactly. Like, do do you not face this this and this happened very early on in our campaign? Their their boat was boarded by enemies. They fought them off, but lost one of their three cannons. Mm. So now they only have two. Do they put them both on one side? Or do they put one on either side? Or, you, you know, little things like this. Do sure. they outfit their boat to have space for others at the front, at the back, things like this? Like all these little yeah. uh, customization options. Sure. I mean, you, you think oh. about the, the weight of the shot because now it's a trade-off. How much food do we take and how much shot do we take? <laughs> And and still be able to move and maneuver the way we want to. So yeah, and people's a big one too, yes. right? Oh yeah. The, the boat itself can only have so many people on mm-hmm. it. And one of the another theme in this game is is uh, freedom. So I I don't want to talk too much about something else, uh, Rhett. So you stop me if <laughs> well. It's, here's if it's not... here's the beauty. Okay, uh, okay. I am I am open to a part two to this at any time. So <laughs> you know if, if we decide there is sure. a lot here, I'm more than happy to come back and talk more about this. So yeah, you just you do what you want to do, and we'll break it where we need to. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, so so like I said, yeah, people. Uh, one of the one of the, the themes that we were trying to address in the game is freedom. Uh, I alluded to it before. You know that the settlers arrived into the Makoan Gulf. Mm-hmm. And when they arrived, they brought their very take-over-everything attitude. So there's there's kind of like this division between the Makoans who live the traditional lifestyle and the, the Makoans who have adopted 
the we call them the Imperials. They're they're very Italian in their uh, mannerisms and names mm-hmm. and, and and attitudes, and that that comes from my background. You know, the Macoans who are part of the Empire, as you will, they are a very second class cast in this in this Empire. So oftentimes, my party who are pirates, they'll have at it. They'll encounter an Imperial ship. They'll fight the Empire. They'll take over the boat or make them surrender or whatever. And in doing so, they'll liberate the Makoans on board, the kind of the laborers on board, for the ones that want to return to their old way of life or maybe join a, a pirate troop of their own. But lately, as they've been going on this quest to, to kind of rid the, the Empire's influence over these Makoan people, they've encountered this problem of where do we put these people that were liberated. <laughs> so it's been really interesting to see them pick the NPCs that they kind of get attached to more right. maybe or the ones that they see fit a better niche role on the boat. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy can cook. We don't have a chef yet. Let's have him join the boat. Um and then maybe the others, you know, will give them a dinghy and they can kind of travel off to the next <laughs> village or whatever. <laughs> so funny funny decisions like this that uh, you know wouldn't normally be made. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, something else that I, I've been pondering about as we've gone is what kinds of special adventures this opens up. I, I keep thinking of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, where you suddenly got two worlds. You've got the surface world, and then you have the submarine world, where outfitted with the correct stuff or protected by the right spells, you can actually go down and explore some ruins or um, search for treasure. You know, There are just some neat things you can do in this new environment uh, have you yeah have, yeah definitely I, I haven't done anything underwater uh, and that hasn't really been something that my players have thought about doing i guess but i i think one of the beauties of it is this liberty that comes with the decisions that the players make right. they they're a little bit more consequence free and i don't mean to say that as if it encourages them to be murder hobos like that's not that's not the playstyle of the people that i play with uh, we really go for this kind of narrative that follows through and that there's consequences to, to my actions and this and that and the other thing. But there's definitely this this freedom to being pirates on a boat traveling the sea. You know, you can make a decision that might be a little shady and if nobody really notices it, you're okay. So the players, I feel, have been a little bit more courageous mm-hmm. in their decisions in the decisions that they make, something that sometimes I feel like my players hold back. They they don't want to make a decision that's too dramatic that might you know have too big of a negative consequence right, on the game. Right. But here, having this very um, nomadic kind of lifestyle, having this very open sea type attitude to the way that they play, I feel like it created like this very refreshing sense of play in my players. Other things. I'm trying to think of other other unique elements of the game. I, I mean, the layers that I've put onto it are, have very much been the pirate lens. We've got the imperial lens that is, kind of feels like the more traditional game. Mm-hmm. So when they do want to be a little bit more grounded, they might find themselves in, a, in an imperial city. They put on some disguises so no one can tell that they're pirates and they kind of wander around for a couple of sessions and they feel like, okay, we've gotten a little bit of our fix of what, <laughs> what we expect out of a D&D game or a role-playing game. And then they, they go back on the open seas and they, they do kind of the, the voyages that way. And then there's the Makoan side, the, the more mystical, uncharted, 
almost like Indiana Jones, but on water style of temples and encounters and puzzles and things like yeah. that. So those have kind of been the, the, the three lenses that the game kind of exchanges, almost like when you're at the optometrist. And <laughs> right. Like, one which, or two. Which one do one you or want? Two, one right. or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know that one well. You've given us lots and lots to think about, and um, I'm sure there's a whole lot more we could talk about with that. Uh, I, I do like the fact that, like you said, you can play one style, and then when the players get the itch for something, you swap to that new thing. Once they've gotten their fix, they come back and you're back to the same old thing. Um, have you found that given your experience with other games, running this game has changed your DMing style, Annie? Um, it's definitely allowed me to kind of embrace the more improvisational. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that one of the big mistakes that I've made when I was a you know, first-time GM, when you asked me to what my world building style would be, I would tell you it's to create everything on the spot mm -hmm. or like spend months and months with a binder full of stuff. Like I, I know a lot of people have done this before mm -hmm. because you just get so passionate about creating a space for your players to play in. Here, I really enjoyed the flexibility of all of these islands. Y you know, there's probably a hundred different islands that are mapped out in the Makoan coast. Mm -hmm. And there's some of them that have established locations on them. This is the headquarters for this pirate guild. Here's the imperial capital. This is the trading post, yada, yada, things like this. This is the old Makoan temple where, where you know, the goddess of fire and, and, and passion lives, Th things like this. But then there's all these blank spots. And it really enabled me to just say, you know what? They're going to remain empty until my players say something that I'm like, you know what? That sounds really, really cool. That island right here, yeah. that's where the voodoo shaman and his like disciples are going to yeah. That That's it right there. So it's um, it really enabled that style of, of game mastering for me, which was something that I wanted to embrace a little bit more, yeah. be a little bit more improvisational, go with the flow, a little bit less prep, th things like this. Yeah. I think your approach by making it fairly modular, adding islands as you as they discover new areas of, of the map, uh, that's such a transferable mindset. Now that you've gotten the mm -hmm. idea, it's really the same thing with a regular world map. I think you've discovered the way for you to embrace a more improvisational style. And now that you've gotten it, it's going to be a piece of cake to apply that to a regular all-terrain uh, map. Yeah, 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 absolutely. For sure. And and I think it's a lesson that a lot of people can hopefully can learn from. I, I think there's a lot of beauty in making sure that the world that you're building is the table's world and not just yours, right? It 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 flows with the decisions of the players. So yeah, absolutely. So an, another thing I think that this has enabled me to embrace a little bit more is this logistical side of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said in, in the introduction. I've always been somebody who puts roleplay first. You know, having a beautiful scene between two or three characters crying over the death of an NPC, I'll take that over a well-strategized combat any day. Mm -hmm. And I know there's people out there who are going to get mad at me for saying that. Or, 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 you know what? You can have both, absolutely. I, I don't want both. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to have the roleplay. And I'm sure five years ago, had you told me that there could be fun had 
tracking inventory and food <laughs> and the weight of a boat, I would literally roll my eyes at you. But, <laughs> but seeing it in play and the importance that it has because of its relevance has really taught me that there is room for this in a game. It just needs to be implemented in a way that, like I said, is relevant. It needs to be important to what's happening in the game. It needs to be done gradually, too. You can't just tonally shift your game and be like, okay, now we're in the desert and right. I'm going to track every drip of water you drink from now on. Right. Like, no one's going to want to do that. But uh, but yeah, it, it has enabled me to kind of learn about that uh, side of the game and, and really embrace it. Yeah, and I think the key, from, from what I'm gathering as you've spoken about it, I think the key has been that it wasn't just you saying this is the kind of game that we're going to do. It was the players who began to become interested in that aspect of it. And then you went along with it. And so there's that collaborative element that you were trying to build in. And it becomes a partnership between you as the game master and the players to determine what is our fun? What is it that we yeah, enjoy? Yeah. What, what do we want to get out of this game? And then as you play together, as you work together to build this world and this story, you've gravitated toward that mechanism and they're finding it to be a whole lot more interesting than they ever thought you ever thought it would be possible to, to find. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, as my mind is careening off in other areas, you know, I'm thinking there are some neat possibilities here, you know, maybe they decide to take on the empire head on, you know, they, they begin to assemble a fleet or multiple fleets as they are trying to break down this corrupt imperial system once and for all or maybe the mccoans become too full of themselves and now that they're starting to make some headway boom they start expanding and, and causing problems you know so then then you've got some interesting mechanics going uh world events that that could influence the course of the game it's it's fun how these ideas just blossom and become yeah, something yeah. And else I, I really like how you talk about that because that kind of conflict is something that i think is really important in world building mm -hmm. I think it's never really fun to throw your players into a situation, or at least I've never found it fun to throw my players into a situation where it's just kind of neutral or ambivalent, you know, and, and it's all based on what they want to do. It's a lot more fun to throw them kind of at a tipping point to be like, look, the McCoans are uprising. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to, you know, there's like a resistance group, the liberation front of the McCoans <laughs> in the empire or something. What do you do? Do you help them yeah. or do you squash it? What, where, where do you, where does your allegiance lie? And that allegiance is going to be what tips the balance. So when I initially created my world, I kind of built these factions and had this diagram almost where you've got the three factions, the pirates, the empire and the McCoans. And I drew a bunch of arrows in between them of like positive relationships between each negative relationships and then conflicts that resulted in these relations, in these these um, positive and negative relationships, mm -hmm. and that's the stuff that's going to come out. That's the stuff your players are going to, you know, when they're walking into a new town or they're sailing across the sea and they find a, a, a message in a bottle. That's the stuff that I try to seed into the game to be like, look, here's a letter of resi you know the resistance fighters trying to gather at this location or here is the, the, the Empire coming up with this new way to block a very important trade route for the pirates, things like this. So introduce those conflicts, make them part of the world, because that's what makes the world 
brief. Yes. That's what makes the world fun. Oh, this is great. Oh, man. <laughs> you mind if I come over and play next time? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Get on a plane. Come on over. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, so much neat stuff. And, and like I said, I am, I am more than open to a revisit of this. And Stackers, man, we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this campaign? What are your thoughts on Matt's approach to running this game? I, I think I'm seeing a lot of neat stuff, a lot of great ideas coming out of this. Um, I did want to offer you a quick opportunity, if you're willing, uh, to share how we can get hold of you, Matt. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can always reach out to me on Twitter. I spend probably too much time on Twitter. <laughs> uh, my, my wife would say definitely too much mm -hmm. time on Twitter. But um, yeah, so you can reach out to me as at, at role underscore play underscore chat. Role is spelled R-O-L-E. So like, like in role play and not like in, you know, rolling dice. Uh, you can also listen to the show. So role play chat is a bi-weekly tabletop RPG deep dive discussion. Every other week the show comes out and I'm joined by an amazing guest. Rhett will be joining me sometime, probably soon, depending on when this is released. Yeah, and when, I'm excited when, about when, this. Yeah, yeah. So you guys can, can listen to that. And I've had all kinds of great folks on. Uh, I would be remiss if I don't talk about getting to talk to Brennan Lee Mulligan. He came on the show and this guy was so inspirational to me as a game master. So getting to sit down and, and chat with him was a lot of fun. Uh, I've also had the opportunity to talk with all kinds of cool members of the community. Uh, Nils and Emil from the Double DM podcast. Mm. Great, great guys with a lot of great ideas. They came on the show and chatted. And yeah, just, you know, people from the community, different perspectives, different ideas and advice, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> for people listening. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been a joy talking to you and getting to know you and the campaign that you're running. Uh, so again, Stackers, we'd love to hear from you. You can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at Stackadice. And you can email us at stack.o.dice at gmail.com. We also have our new Discord server. So if you're interested in interacting with us in real time, we'd love to hear from you that way. So Matt, again, thank you for your time this evening. I appreciate it. And you've given us a lot to think about. Some neat directions, some neat ways of thinking about world building. And I'm looking forward to a round two with you at some point in the future. Awesome. Awesome. Would love to. And thank you, Rhett. Thank you, Stackers, for having me on, uh, on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to it. Right. I look forward to chatting some more. We'll see you here again next time right here at Stack of Dice. Thank you.